It's time to uh, hear the Word of God preached. It's time to hear um, the second in our series on uh, 1 Peter. So I'm going to invite Tom up and we're going to pray for him uh, and hear uh, what the Lord is speaking to us through the Bible. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would bless us through all that Tom has prepared, through all that you will say through him by your Spirit. Father, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, give us hearts that are receptive, and let us go out differently to how we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Morning, everyone. Um, so, uh, those of you, if anybody knows me, you, you will know uh, that I quite like, just a little bit, uh, enjoy watching, playing, following lots and lots of different sports. Um, so, and in the last 20 years or so, um, a trend has emerged in lots of different sports. Um, all different team sports that you watch, really, same trend um, has come around. Um, and that is the pre-match huddle. So, uh, before... Sort of over 20 years ago, teams would have a bit of a team talk in their changing room, presumably. Then they'd run out onto the pitch, um, looking ready to play, and they would start playing. They might sort of circle their arms around a little bit, but they would run out onto the pitch, ready to play. Now, that doesn't happen. The teams still run out on the pitch, they look ready to play, and then just before they're about to start, they gather into a small circle, arms around each other, a bit of a huddle, um, and just listen to a last few points of advice. It's never anything particularly new or anything detailed, this. It's a last attempt to get a few messages um, fresh into the players' minds, just as their brains might start to be thinking, what if I'm not good enough? What if I mess up? It's key basic things to remind them of some key basics of what they need to do and who they are. Now, I think the passage that we're going to read today, the section of the letter that we're going to read today, would work quite well as a Christian pre-match huddle. Um, We'll see that it starts by saying, prepare your minds for action. That is something that could just have been lifted from a sports team's pre-match huddle. Um, The passage that we're going to read today is full of key reminders, key reminders for us for who God is, um, what he's done for us, who we are. so, um, let's, let's get on with it and let's read it. Um, we're going to read the passage. It'll come up on the screen there. Um, it's up to you whether you want to huddle up with the people next to you, whether you want to lean in. Um, but we'll read the passage and then we'll get going. So, um, it's 1 Peter, um, obviously, uh, chapter 1, and we're reading from verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Uh, and I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Therefore... With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with the perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world 
but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So, amazing passage, really dense, really deep. I would just encourage you, as I've finished reading that, if you followed along with your, on your phone or with your Bible, keep it open. Um, don't let your phone just go to sleep. Um, keep that open because th- there's some amazing stuff in there. Um, I'll talk a little bit about it, but it's the passage that you want to get in your head. So keep that open, keep following through. Um, some amazing stuff in there. So people aren't really changed by what they do. Godly living comes um, from godly thinking. It comes from knowing who God is and what he's done for us. So Peter here is, try, is keen to get our minds on the right track to spur on this godly living. The first word we've read, first word in this passage um, is therefore. That's like classic Bible reading word that sends alarm bells off in our head and reminds us that what we're reading isn't just a standalone passage. It's not just a little section that's on its own. It's part of a bigger letter. We read it and break it up, but it's part of a bigger letter. To understand this passage, we need to know what's gone before. To understand what we've just read, we need to understand the rest of the letter, the bigger context. The motivation and the inspiration for that action that we've read about here comes from the living hope um, that comes from Jesus that Luke talked about last week. The living hope that says we don't belong here, but we belong to him. That's what Luke told us last week. It's because of that that verse 13 calls us to action, to have minds that are alert. We're not called to action out of a sense of guilt or out of a sense of needing to prove ourselves, or because we've been told to do it, or because it's the right thing to do. Instead, these verses, the action that these verses talk about, is it come as a fitting response to what we heard about last week, understanding what Jesus has done for us. If we don't react like this, then I wonder if we really understand what Jesus has done for us. But part of this living hope, the fact that this hope is living, means that we're not doing this alone. Part of responding, part of this response to having a living hope means that the promise of God's Holy Spirit is with us, is living in us. Um, We should expect with God living in us um, and working through us that change will happen. Not just change can happen, but change will happen. Not because of our brilliance, but because he's living in us. So Peter starts by calling us in verse 13 to be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is one of several times in this passage where Peter wants to focus our sights on the finish line to remind us of where we're going to help us to understand where we are now. 
He wants to, us to see what we're experiencing now, what we're going through now, what we're tempted to see as being important. He wants us to see all that through an eternal perspective. And when he talks about hope here, he's not talking about hope in the same way that we use the word hope today. Um, when we talk of hope, it's often a sort of fingers crossed kind of hope. I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope we don't get it stuck in traffic. I hope that as I just add this Tupperware to the pile of Tupperware that I've put in the cupboard and quickly shut the door, that it doesn't crush the person, the next person who's coming um, to open it. I've never done that myself, but I've heard that other people do. Um, <clears throat> but as Luke said last week, putting our hope into something that isn't sure is dangerous. The hope that we have isn't this kind of hope. Peter talks about, in that verse that we've just read, putting our hope fully on the grace of God. We can properly lean in on this type of hope. He says that when Christ is revealed, he says when Christ is revealed, not if Christ is revealed. In our world where so much anguish, so much anxiety is caused by things that we can't control, Peter reminds us to set our hope, set our sights on a surefire bet. Throughout this passage, Peter uses images that remind us how short-term and worthless the things of this earth are in comparison with the glory of God and his good news. Verse 24, so later on in the passage, says, All people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Whereas if we're born again, we're made not of imperishable seed, but, sorry, not of imperishable seed. I've copied that down wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Um, not of perishable seed but of imperishable that's the way around it should be so um, <clears throat> putting our hope fully on Jesus' grace becomes much easier when we get the right sense of perspective when we realise how temporary and short-lived the other things that we might chase after are I absolutely love the illustration of this in verse 18 I think it's it makes me laugh actually it's a really funny illustration um, here it says that perishable things like gold and silver um, will not save us. Gold and silver are probably the things that on this earth we would say are the least um, perishable things. We're used to other things that people go after as, and see as being the thing that they need. We're used to those kind of things, like things like money or trainers or a car or the, a new phone becoming old hat quite quickly. But gold and silver hold its value. Um, always seems to be precious. If you've got something that's gold that's worth something, it's still going to be worth something in 100 years' time. But for Peter to use this as his image of things that are perishable um, and how that can't save us um, shows us how valuable, how reliable and how permanent the grace of God is. We get another clear contrast between God and the world in the next verse. Peter continues to try and prepare our minds for action. Verse 14, um, Peter tells us, Do not conform to, your, to the evil desires you had in your ignorance. If you've got an ESV, it calls them the passions of your former ignorance. This is really stark black and white language. It's not saying God's ways are slightly better. This is a slight upgrade. It's clear. 
what we used to want, uh, what we used to put our hope in is not slightly not as good. It's rubbish when compared to what we have in him. But we're not just called to be different or to behave differently. We've been made different. We've been born again. Verse 14 describes us as children. That's our identity now. Um, we're not just subjects trying to impress, but we've been made children of God. What an amazing privilege that is. Now, um, I've mentioned this before in Life Church, but I'm, I'm a primary school teacher, um, and I have 30 children in my class every year who I describe as my children. And Monday to Friday, I probably spend more time with them than I spend with my own son. But my relationship with my children is different to the relationship I have with my child, my son. Um, my class are my class for a year, but then they become someone else's class. Um, I don't make my children, the children in my class, breakfast. I don't bounce on the trampoline with them. Um, I don't have random conversations in our car, on car journeys with them. No one in my class has ever arrested me, locked me and locked me in the boot of my car. Um, <clears throat> I um, read the children in my class stories, but when I read them stories, they sit at my feet. When I read Reuben a story, he sits on my lap or by my side. Um, I might pray for the children in my class, but I never get to pray with them. We can hear the language of the father and children so often that it can be easy to skim past this and miss the significance of it. But it's a significant thing. Knowing who we are, knowing that we are children of God, um, that we can call him father, um, knowing that he is with us and that he's for us means that we can approach what we encounter in this life with a different kind of confidence and a different perspective. Um, this kind of image of relationship also filters through to the command to be holy in verses 15 and 16. It's a command that is centred on our relationship with God. It's not be holy to earn something, or if you're not holy, then you will lose something. It's not be holy by doing this, or by doing that, or by ticking this list off. It's a simple be holy because I'm holy. Because we're God's children now, we're called to be holy because that's part of being God's family. It's like God saying, if you're in my family, that's what we do. Um, I don't know if your family have any traditions or any things that are sort of, that set your family apart, things that you do and the generations before you have done. Um, for my dad's side of the family, an example of this would be going to the Lake District and climbing mountains. Um, my dad's side of the family originally came from the Lake District. They lived in a place called Ambleside in the Lake District. Um, and so later on, when, when they moved, my dad as a kid, child went up to the Lake District every year on holiday. They climbed mountains. It was a tradition that was passed on. Every year we go up to the Lake District and we climb mountains. Um, and it still happens today. Now, when Dee, my wife, um, and I were first going out, our relationship reached the point where she was first invited on the family holiday to the Lake District. It's a significant moment. 
Um, <clears throat> so the Newtons have been climbing mountains, as I said, in the Lake District for lots and lots of years. So Dee coming to do this was quite a rite of passage. It was a real moment. Now, I'm sure that my family would probably have probably have accepted Dee just the same if she'd come with us, but instead of climbing mountains, she'd opted to stay in the town centres, um, visiting the coffee shops, visiting Keswick's world-famous pencil museum. Um, <clears throat> it, I can thoroughly recommend it, actually. Um, <clears throat> but there was something significant about her joining in. It was kind of like us saying, welcome to the Newton family, come and climb mountains in the Lake District, because we climb mountains in the Lake District. That's what our family does. You can stay in the towns if you want to, but why don't you come and join us? This is fun. That doesn't mean it was always easy. I think Dee would probably tell you that we're probably in the first couple of years, there were a few wet and cold and tiring moments where maybe she didn't see it as being the same amount of fun that I'd build it as being. Um, <clears throat> but I think now she'd tell you, I hope, uh, she'd tell you the views you get the top, at the top the time you spend in God's creation, the sense of achievement, make it worth it. And in a similar way, God says to us, be holy because I'm holy. That's what we do in this family. It might be hard at times. You might have some moments where it doesn't quite feel comfortable yet. Um, but it is who I am and it is who you are and it's worth it. So, as we said before, by describing our old lives as former ignorance, Peter tries to make it tries to make it us think, why would I go back to being why would I go back to what I was like before? It's ignorance. Um, before I didn't know better, but now I know that as a child of God, there is so much better out there for me. Jesus' righteousness is a privilege. It's one at great cost. So why would I go back to my former life? Obviously, there's a cost to this. It isn't easy. It's our former, in our former ignorance, we would have thought any cost wouldn't be worth it. But we're no longer ignorant anymore. And we know any cost, um, anything we have to say no to, is worth it. I think the fact that Peter can say God is holy so be like him is an incredible sentence and one that we shouldn't lose track of as well. Um, that our response to encountering God's, God's holiness can be try and imitate it rather than hide our faces from it and flee from it is amazing. Peter himself had seen firsthand um, Jesus' holiness. Um, he'd seen it, an example of him seeing it was um, at the end of a particularly unsuccessful night's fishing in Luke 5. He caught nothing all night. And then Jesus told him to put out his nets again. And all of a sudden, they'd caught more fish in their nets than they could handle and were suddenly having to get their friends to come and help them. But it's an amazing story. But Peter's response to that wasn't, wow, you are holy, I need to be more like you. Peter's response to that instead was to fall at Jesus' feet and say, go away from me, Lord. I am just a sinful man. That Peter can now call on us to be drawn to God's holiness is amazing. And it's because as he allows, 
outlines in verses 18 to 21, we have been redeemed by Jesus. This letter is written on this side of the cross. Because he has wiped the slate clean for us and taken the punishment for everything we've done wrong, and because the Holy Spirit now lives in us, Peter can write things like, be holy. Our hands are clean because of his blood. It's an amazing transformation from encountering God's holiness and falling to his feet to calling us to draw near to God's holiness and trying to imitate it is an amazing thing. And we shouldn't lose sight of the great cost of how this has been won. And we still should have some of Peter's attitude in the boat towards Jesus and his holiness. We shouldn't take it for granted. Verse 17, he talks about living out our time here in reverent fear. Fear is a word that probably doesn't bring that many positive associations in our minds. Um, When we think of fear, we think about worry, we think about anxiety. Technological, scientific, medical advances should mean that our world is safer than it's ever been before. But I think it's probably, our world has probably never been more filled with a sense of anxiety and fear. Fear is used all throughout our society in lots and lots of subtle ways. It's used to drive election campaigns. If you vote for them, then this will happen. If you don't vote for us, then this, this, and this will happen. Um, It's used to influence what kind of food we might eat or what kind of food we should eat. If you eat too much of this, then this will happen. If you don't eat enough of this, then this will happen. It's even used in trying to sell us the right kind of doorbell. If you buy this doorbell, then your house is less likely to be burgled. There's subtle elements of low-level fear all through our society, and it helps to build an increasingly anxious society. So when we read verses like this about living in reverent fear, it doesn't sound like a particularly attractive um, proposition, suggestion for Peter to make. But not all fear is bad fear. Sometimes fear is negative, but sometimes fear can be positive. It is possible for us to fear God and to love him. They're not opposite forces working against each other. Um, Michael Reeves has written a really great book called Rejoice and Tremble, uh, which digs into this topic in a lot more detail than I have time for this morning. Um, But just a couple of quotes from it that I thought I'd share this morning. Um, In it, he says this of fearing God. Right fear does not stand in tension with love for God. Right fear falls on its face before the Lord, but falls leaning toward the the Lord. True fear of God is true love for God, defined. It is the right response to God's fully orbed revelation of himself in all all his grace and glory. When we know who God is, the awe and wonder that makes us love him should also drive us to reverent fear. Peter talks about two places where this fear and respect and awe come from. Firstly, at the start of the verse, he reminds us that um, God is still the judge as well as the father. So our reverent fear comes from a place of remembering God's fatherly discipline. 
being part of God's family is an incredible privilege, but we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that disobedience will go unnoticed, that we've got just free reign to go and do what we want. The judgment that he refers to here could be talking about God's future and final judgment that though won't exclude believers from heaven will mean that each of us will be judged and rewarded according to the deeds in their lives. So as mentioned in Romans chapter 14 verse 12 or 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. But the commentaries that I read seem to point to this more likely to being um, referring to the ongoing fatherly discipline in this life. Similar um, to what's talked about in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 um, to 12 where Proverbs 3 is quoted as a reminder that my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he revokes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Because he loves us, God will discipline us in this life to help teach us and shape us. And this is a huge reason why we shouldn't take for granted being counted as his children but we should keep hold of the awe and respect for God that made us turn away from ourselves and towards him in the first place when we first gave our lives to him. We're not to become like children of spoiled rich adults who never um, <clears throat> never have to live for children because they've been bankrolled by mummy and daddy um, their whole lives and they don't know the value of money but need to keep living knowing what it costs to, remind, to make us children of God. That's what Peter is reminding us of in verses 18 to 21. So we touched on earlier, it wasn't with money that we were saved. Old, perishable, worthless, silver and gold, but with a body, with a life. And not just any life, the precious blood of Christ. Peter then uses some more Old Testament imagery to emphasise his point. He describes him as a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter's readers would have associated this, this image of the lamb um, with the sacrifices that God's people made under the old covenant in order to make themselves right with God. It's an amazing image. It's a beautiful, beautiful image. The son of God who was there at the beginning of creation, reducing himself to becoming a helpless lamb and sacrificing himself for us. If we remember this, if we remember what it cost to make us right with God, we can't just take God's grace for granted, doing whatever we want, when we want, but live our lives. We should live our lives with reverent fear that Peter describes. So we've worked through to verse 22. It then gives us a practical way of outworking this. Um, and we'll go, in, we'll go into some more of these practical ways at the start of chapter 2 um, next week. So what does it look like to be living holy lives? Uh, lives, obedient lives, lived in reverent fear. What is that action that he talks about in verse 13? Verse 22 says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. It has echoes of Matthew 22, where Jesus tells the Pharisees the greatest commandments are, Love the Lord with all your heart. Love your neighbour as yourself. It's so simple, but it's so challenging. It's a sincere love and a deep love. If you've got the ESV again, it describes it as a brotherly love and an earnest love. It's not 
just putting up with one another or being nice to one another or tolerating each other, saying a nice brief hello to each other, but loving one another deeply. It's a really high standard and a really challenging one. But if the gospel is in our hearts, we should see the love that comes from the gospel reproduced in our lives. The Holy Spirit's been implanted in us um, so the likeness of Jesus will grow inside us. This would be a great thing to spend some time in your life groups um, this week going into more detail um, or maybe in your own time as well. Weighing up that ways that God might be highlighting as things that you, we, ways that we can do this even more. How can we love each other deeply and sincerely um, in a brotherly way? Um, but as I finish, I think it's amazing that when we read a passage like this, that this is the action we're given. When we're called to action, we're not given a list of tasks to complete. Spend this amount of time praying, this amount of time reading your Bible, give this amount of money away, do this, this and this. It's not an action to try and get a response out of God to get him to love us more or to earn something. Instead of trying to get a response out of God, our action actually comes as a response to him. It's a reaction to seeing what he's done for us. We're being reminded of who God is and what he's done for us. And then we're simply to try and pass it on. So um, as I finish, then I think we should spend some time responding to who God says he is in this passage and what, it, what he says he has done for us. In a few minutes, the band, well, the band will start to come up. Band, if you want to start coming up, that'd be great. Um, in a few minutes, we'll stand and we'll um, sing some songs together. Um, but I thought it'd be good to start by taking communi- communion together. Um, I'm going to read just verses 18 to 21 again. Um, and then we'll share communion together. Um, why don't you take a few moments to have this meal with the people around you, your fellow brothers and sisters, Thank God for what he's done for you. Um, And then we'll sing some songs together. So um, hopefully you've got some bread and wine. I'll read um, verses 18 to 21. And then, yeah, let's share communion together. And then we'll hand back to the band and to Luke and Hannah. So verse 18 says, For you know that it was not with the perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you, for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. So... Spend a few minutes with the people around you. Um, share this meal together. Um, and let's thank God for who he is and what he's done for us. <clears throat>